Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and most horrific murder cases in history. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at the socialite and serial killer, Madame Lalaurie. Now, we're doing things a little bit differently today. We're going way back in time to look at the slave owner and serial killer, Madame LaLaurie. You might recognise that name from American Horror Story. It was from the series Coven, which was probably one of my favourites. But that was inspired by true things, like true occurrences. So it's not like, it's not factual. What, what, what happens in Covent, you know, wasn't entirely true. And they do mix and match some other New Orleans history in with that series. I season. never watched it. Did you not? I watch everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the first two seasons of American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't watch things like that by myself. No. Baker has no interest in it. Oh. Um, I'll get nightmares. Oh, like I know it's not even that scary, but um, like it's just anything that's really tense or like I'm waiting to be scared. I don't like it. It puts me on edge and it just gives me like anxious dreams. I just and I don't. I so don't that feeling of being on edge. Yeah, I I, I really like it. What What is enjoyable about I don't know. that? Like it's like how some people like getting their foot rubbed. Yeah, I don't some like that. Don't either. like that. <laughs> I like being put on edge. Um, I get so in my own head about stuff like that. When I watched Saw 2, I had nightmares for probably like two or three weeks. And like Saw 2, it's not even scary. It's just, uh, you know, horrific. But I'll get so in my own head about like, I'm in bed by myself. (laughs) Somebody's going to come in and steal me in a pig mask and I'm going to (laughs) wake up covered in needles. Oh my God. And like, yeah, and I just, it's too much. So I just have to sort of keep media like that away from me. I um, saw a really big spider oh God. in my <laughs> utility room the other day. And I, like, it was so big. I just went in to put laundry in the, and it was right next to the washing machine. And I just dropped the laundry, went, oh my God. And <laughs> and left. straight back out again. I did, walked straight back out. Laundry's <laughs> on the floor. Um, mentioned it to Baker. And then I got up for like my third wee of the night because every pregnant person will know that feeling um and for some reason that we was the there might be where did that spider go because <laughs> i don't i didn't ask baker to do anything with it and by the time Still he went there. in there it wouldn't have been where i left it so where was it and then also i was like it did look it looked really meaty and then i was like it was carrying eggs <laughs> so not only is there this big spider coming for me while i'm having this uh, you know unprotected wee don't even have my glasses on i can't see shit middle of the night um it's also carrying eggs and the eggs are probably going to hatch and then they're going to have millions of giant spiders in my house did not sleep for the rest of the night oh my god it must be difficult being in your brain it was quite stressful i woke up like like when baker woke up in the morning he was like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I couldn't stop thinking about that spider. He went, oh, I got rid of it. Like, it <laughs> And you're like, it wasn't even there. Fuck's sake, Baker. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, this is all going to be new to me. Yep. 
Um, but I will enjoy, it'll be nice because I bang on about Criminal Minds and shit like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've never seen it. Mm-hmm. You can bang on about American Horror Story well, to me. Um, I won't be banging on about it because it's not really completely accurate. And the story well, obviously. is actually, there's a little, there's a lot more to it than what was portrayed. But Madame Lellerie was a slave owner and did some really horrendous things to the enslaved people she kept in her house. So if you would like to avoid hearing about this, then please do skip this episode and check out another one of our episodes. Let's set the scene. It's a warm April evening in Louisiana, New Orleans in 1834. Fire marshals have been called to a blaze in the home of Madame Lalaurie at 1140 Royal Street. When the marshals arrive at the mansion, they find the kitchen alight. Inside the kitchen, they discover that the house cook, a 70-year-old black enslaved woman, has been chained to the stove by her ankle. She tells the authorities that she's been chained up whilst Madame Lalaurie was busying about saving her furniture, but not all was what it seemed. The cook admitted to starting the fire herself, which was a suicide attempt, she said. She'd been watching several enslaved people, been taken up to the attic for punishment, never to be seen again. She didn't know what was happening to them, but she knew it was a fate worse than death. Meanwhile, bystanders rushed into the mansion to help, working with the marshals to make sure everyone was evacuated from the building. Madame Lalaurie refused to give them the key to the attic, so the door was broken down, and what the neighbours and authorities saw that night shocked them to their core. Seven enslaved people, horribly mutilated and emaciated, suspended by spiked iron collars, limbs torn from their bodies and unable to walk, had been locked in Madame Lalaurie's attic for what could have been months and this was just the beginning. Oh my God, I did not see that coming. So let's go back to the start. Okay, so this is a really interesting story. I've always had quite a, a thing for history, but I don't want to do it a disservice, so please be patient with me because I'm, I'm trying to do my best here. It's an important story to tell. It is. So, as I was saying that, I, I don't actually know what happens. <laughs> I don't know what happens in the story. But um, I think anything with this sort of subject matter where people own people is always very delicate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the issue of race yeah. here as well. It's yeah. going to be a strong theme. So, um, there's some very delicate subjects that we're going to be looking at. Like, I know for me, mm. I always feel a bit sort of extra icky with uh slave ownership i'm probably not as clued up about the american history of slave ownership as i should be because the sort of history that has been passed down to me through my family is obviously from the caribbean islands where we descend from people who were owned Mm -hmm. but also i'm a mixed race person and i come from some white caribbeans that obviously probably did own people at some point and that can be quite a difficult pill to swallow it's more common than you think with caribbean ancestry for obvious reasons why so we're all in this together and i trust you helen anderson thank you 
Marie Delphine McCarty was born in New Orleans on March 19, 1787, to Louis Barthélemy de McCarty and Marie-Jeanne Lirable. Delphine was named after her mother Marie, but preferred to be called Delphine. The McCarty family originally came from Ireland, moving to the USA around 1730, during the French colonial period. They had a strong military background and her dad was even knighted as the Chevalier of the Royal and Military Order of St. Louis, which was was a big deal. Big deal back then. Both Louis and Marie were very well known in the town they lived in. They had a huge 1,344-acre plantation. That's massive. Yep. And they lived next door to a wealthy count. Delphine's uncle was the governor of the Spanish-American provinces of Louisiana and her cousin was the mayor of New Orleans. So you could summarise that they were important and they had quite a lot of money. This was like high society. She's well connected. She's she's in there with the people. And she's a white girl? Yeah. Okay. They came from Ireland. You don't often hear about Ireland, the Irish going across and being well received. That's not Mm. a story you often hear. But they have French names, so are they French-Irish? I don't know how that works. That's another history lesson for another day. They moved from Ireland 50 years prior. So because they moved to Louisiana, where it's a, it's French, they would have probably adopted the French like forename. The uh, surname is still McCarty, which is yeah. pretty Irish. Because you just sort of think... Yeah, like all the sort of history or like films and, you know, things that Irish going across to America were treated worse than dogs sometimes. But they had military backgrounds, so they were, they were still they quite... Were fancy. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I know, I know, right? It's, it is. It's so interesting. So Delphine's mother, Marie, was known as one of the best hostesses in town. And apparently she loved to throw huge parties until the early hours of the morning. And she liked to, she loved to prank people. She was a scamp. She was. She was a funny old gal. (laughs) Marie. Yeah. Now, there are a couple of important things to note about Delphine's childhood. First, when she was very young, an uncle of hers was killed by the enslaved people he was holding on his land. There was a rumour that her parents were, but that was debunked because they died at separate times. And that's just a myth. So if you ever hear that, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And then when Delphine was four years old, something very important happened. The Haitian Revolution. So that meant that enslaved people had liberated themselves from their captors, which was amazing. But it had a pretty terrible knock-on effect because now that white slave owners all over the south of the US and the Caribbean were paranoid about revolution at their own front door. These uprisings had the knock-on effect of slave owners abusing enslaved people even more horrifically because they were worried they might fight back. In those days, there were rights. I'm doing the air quotes. Air quotes, I suppose. Um, And they were called slave codes. One in particular for the French colonies was called Code Noir, which was a decree originally passed by French King Louis XIV in 1685, defining the conditions of slavery. Let's face it, these rules aren't to benefit. No, but I was about to say, if you actually look at them, they are quite questionable, especially when it comes to religion. There were some things in there that you could say, okay, that might be for the protection of the slaves, but at the end of the day, the ulterior motive was... 
It was just to make them feel better. Yeah. That's, yeah. Like, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was an ego massage, and, wasn't and it, it? And it was also about conditioning them to fit into their idea of society. So they had to forget their previous religions and their beliefs. And they had to, nope, you can't do that now because this says so. Because you're not a person. Yeah, exactly. You are property. So some examples of what was on Code Noir. Masters must give food, quantities specified, and clothes to their slaves, even to those who were sick or old. Oh, lovely. Even to those who are sick or old. Yep. A slave husband and wife and their prepubescent children under the same master were not to be sold separately. If a master had falsely accused a slave of a crime and as a result the slave had been put to death, the master would be fined. Fuck. Fuck. I'm trying try not to be, just be like, fuck off. Yep. Masters may chain and beat slaves, but may not torture or mutilate them. Right, I'm guessing that's going to be a key one here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Masters who killed their slaves could be punished. Could be punished. Yep. And um, if anyone attacked and injured a slave, which made them incapable of working, the offender would have to pay a fine to the master. So essentially, and this is where it's messed up, if you had money and you did any of the above, you could just pay a fine. You could just pay a fine and live with the knowledge that you probably enjoyed being a fucking terrible person. Yeah, they just threw money at yeah. it. And it's It's all horrible. a bit gross. It is. It's not nice at all. Well, we must protect the assets. We must protect the we must protect the profits. Yep. Then closer to home. Delphine's mother died. So a lot of men, including her uncle and father, would have had relations with women of colour uh, who were concubines. They'd have children, even marriage between the white men and enslaved women. And um, the men were pretty open about it. So after Delphine's mother died, her father then started seeing a free woman of colour, Sophie Musante. A free woman? Yeah. Exciting. Yes. So she actually had a choice. So she had a choice, yes. So Sophie was what they would call back then. So this is what the actual term is what they would use. And we know this is obviously not used now. Was quadroon or quarteroon, which was a person with one quarter African slash Aboriginal and three quarters European ancestry. So this is interesting. I remember my mum in the 90s being coming home and being upset mm-hmm. um because somebody had asked her and I think it was this really yeah that's one of my first like core memories of my mum doesn't my mum is is different yeah to like a lot of the people here it's something we've all experienced my mum experiences it a lot we do a lot of this like what are you yeah and people needing to understand exactly okay so you are one eighth this and one eighth that and would be like actually she's just done her dna test and (laughs) she's 16 percent north indian yeah and like eight percent nigerian Mm -hmm. and six percent bantu uh if you really want to get involved in this you know there's a lot there's a lot you know i'm always very proud to be like yeah i'm trinidadian like this is who we are Mm -hmm. you know you see the look first you see the look that you look a bit different, but I can't quite put my can't put my, my finger can't quite on put it. My finger you on it from around like, here, are you? And you sort of go, <laughs> and you sort of like, how are they going to approach this then? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I enjoy it. Sometimes I have no patience for it. And there's the oh, so where are you from then? Norwich. 
oh but where are you like from from like, oh well grew up in Croydon actually like moved here and they're like oh Croydon that's so but like where are you where are you you look like you've got a little little some something oh okay yeah what you actually want to know is my what's my ethnicity it's other it's other <laughs> it is other yeah. officially uh particularly with the nhs you are other i am other isn't that a lovely thing to have to put it's down fucking yourself, right? shit it's been terrible yeah. like it's been really irritating yeah and then you sort of and then, oh we're trinidadian oh well i've been to jamaica once no well, that's not the same <laughs> same place <laughs> and there'll be at least six people out there listening to this that'll be like oh <laughs> and can relate so um i already feel for this woman yeah i think also historically and in context it was probably for his relations so his children they were probably not happy about this because if you've got a free liberated woman of color who is now having it's a not a precedent they want to encourage no, no exactly no. so she's she's muddying the the bloodline yep so they had a child together i'm so proud of this woman and even more interestingly, Delphine and her brother Louis were the godparents of their new half-sister. And what may have angered Delphine even more so, the child was named Delphine McCarty. Oh no. Mm. Oh, that's a bit awkward, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so there's probably a lot of unresolved rage there. Okay. So something's brewing and uh, in its racial. Yes. Right. This was the background Delphine grew up in. So politically morally pretty horrible stuff in there yeah and i guess being high society there are sort of these extra expectations yeah but no one could have expected what she did when she was a slave owner herself so she was married off when she was just 13 to don ramon de lopez e angulo don ramon it's <laughs> a very nice name this was um one hell of a double barrel he was a high-ranking spanish royal officer Don Ramon was twice the age of Delphine at 35. He was already a widow at this point as he lost his wife on the way to Louisiana. And in those days, if you were over the age of 12, you were deemed good to go. That's a whole issue in itself, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's so much trouble in this whole package. But yep, okay, 13, married to 35-year-old. So he had to ask permission from the Spanish royalty to marry her. And as the response was taking so long, he did it anyway. Oh. Yeah. So seven months later, he got his reply and it was no. Oh, damn. Yeah. I'm not sure I understand. Oh, oh sorry, Siri. Um, Siri didn't like that no, either. No, no, she didn't. <laughs> um, wow. Wow. So he had to go back to Spain to answer for his crime. And he ended up getting exiled to the border of France to do an office job, which he wasn't very happy about. Oh, that's interesting. So they exiled him to France? Yeah. They, from America? So he went from America back to Spain. And, and they were exiled. like, you bad boy. So he took so him then, out of the country. Yeah. And anyway. then he had to go to France to work an office job. Right. Which he hated. Delphine, in the meantime, went and like to the palace in Spain. Right. And apparently she blew away the queen's beauty that the queen without even asking her what she wanted was like you can have whatever you want oh wow you, you're so beautiful you can have whatever you want and she asked for him to be pardoned in which he was so she did love him she, she uh, or she cared so. for him yeah or she cared for his status yeah i suppose so so during his exile delphine had obviously gone back right so he'd been pardoned 
Then he was then he was sailing back because she was waiting for him in Havana. But on his way back, he hit a sandbank. The ship hit a sandbank and he died. No way. So then after a few days after he died, she gave birth to their child. Oh no. Yeah, a baby girl called Marie Borgia Delphine Lopez e Angulo de la Candelaria. I feel so sad for her when she goes to the, like she, yeah, she goes to reception and they make it, you know, they do the dots. The teachers there like, oh, fuck's sake. Does yep. her 12 names and everyone, you know, every, all the Amy's and yep. Zoe's in the in the class are laughing and Marie blah 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 just registered. She's there for hours <laughs> joining up those dots to write her name. Poor kid. Uh, it was a mouthful. So she was nicknamed Borquita. I think that sounds quite cute. Like, yeah. a, little, like a little um snack. What does that mean? Cheesy snack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're a cheesy snack. And so Delphine and little Borquita headed back to New Orleans. Four years later, Delphine was married again. This time to Jean Blanc. They were married on Delphine's 20th birthday on March 19th, 1807, just a few weeks after her mother had passed away. Jean was a banker, merchant, lawyer, legislator. He was mates with pirates. And of course, he had lots and lots of money. But he was also a savvy businessman who was active in the slave trade. Some thought he saw Delphine's inheritance as an opportunity. He received a dowry of $33,007. Whoa. But they also inherited a downtown plantation on the banks of the Mississippi River, 52 enslaved people, livestock and farm equipment, and Delphine's father then gave her another plantation and an additional 26 enslaved people as well as a wedding gift. Right now, that inheritance would be worth over $2 million. So it's not huge, but for someone in your 20s, ka-ching! Together, they moved into a large house on Royal Street in New Orleans, which was later called the Villa Blanc. So they got busy filling the house with kids. They soon had four siblings for Bukita. So this is a bit bit odd, like... Are they all called Marie? Marie, Marie Louise, Pauline, Marie, Marie, Laurie, Marie, Louise, Jeanne, and Jean-Pierre, Pauline, Blanc. What is that about? That's uninventive. Although, like, I'm looking at girls' names. Maybe I should just consider my own. Perhaps. Because you would be Danny Senior. Danny, Danny. Mm. It's not inventive, is it? Also... Why did There's they... the fun in, in names, right? Yeah, but why has why have they where why have they done that? I don't know. Dinner time must be terrible. Marie, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they lived in a true upper class life. They split their time between their city mansion and their plantation. They never lifted a finger. They mingled with the elites, and of course, they were waited on hand and foot by enslaved people. But seemingly, the happy child-filled marriage wasn't at all what it seemed. In 1816, Jean Blanc passed away, leaving 28-year-old Delphine to settle his estate. She's not having much luck, is she? Well, you know, in the last loving gesture, Jean has left Delphine with debts totaling over $160,000. Oh, no. $2.5 million in today's money. Oh, no. So she had to surrender the family home to the courts and spent the next 10 years auctioning off Jean's properties and possessions, including enslaved people, to try and pay off his debts. 
She did keep some things to herself, though, including some of Jean's slaves. Interestingly, records show that around eight of these enslaved people all died within five years of Delphine signing the papers to keep them. The cause of death was written every time as unknown. Which isn't a great start. It's suspicious as fuck, isn't it? And then, in a horrible swing of luck for her future victims, Delphine's father died, leaving her a massive inheritance. This is also wild. So at this point, Delphine's half-sister was also old enough to receive her inheritance. Remember that she's a free woman of colour and she was left $5,000 and two slaves. Oh, charming. Yeah. I, I can't get my head around that concept. Well, I wonder, I just wonder, and I, I probably don't want to know this, but what what's the monetary value of, say, like, she was left $5,000 and two slaves. What's um, the monetary a, value? Slaves were usually sold for around $2,000. Really? Yeah. Yeah. For a person who is essentially priceless, how do you quantify how much a person is worth? You shouldn't, you can't. It's a no, lot to take in. It just seems so alien that you would put a price on someone's head like that. Like, you're buying something to make your life easier. Like, I don't know, like, you're just purchasing something to assist you and you, you've paid that one price and that, that then there is your property for forever. It's just a horrible, horrible thing to think about. I can't, I mean, I say it's alien, it's alien to us, but it's been, slavery had been a thing for thousands of years and it's just a madness that it even existed Oh, just hor- it's horrible, horrible, horrible. Mm. So things were looking up for Delphine. She had money, she had the lifestyle, and now she was going to find love for the third time. Oh, good for her. In 1825, she met 23-year-old physician and chiropractor, Dr. Louis Lelorie. Oh, so she's gone for a younger man this time. Yeah, she was, oh. she was in her 30s. Cougar. But apparently back then she was like deemed as an old... Oh, yeah, she'd have been an old bag by then, She she? was 37, and he was 23. He was an up-and-coming doctor, well, physician, and said that he could straighten out a hunchback. That was, like, his thing. That was his skill. And Delphine's son had a crooked back, and she reckoned that he needed to be straightened. So, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So so they went to see Dr. Louis, and a love affair bloomed. My great auntie had a hunchback, Auntie Jean, and um, she was terrifying. I shouldn't, shouldn't because laugh. of the hunchback. She's going to come haunt me. No, yeah, but also because of her eyes would just pop out of her face. Oh god! And she, uh, me and my sister actually were talking about this just the other day. I remember, so my me and my sister we were with my dad, and we were in Woolworths. Remember Woolworths? I love Woolworths. We see Auntie Jean in there and she comes over. Bear in mind, my mum and dad haven't been together for years and she hasn't seen him in a long time. And she goes, hello, Michael. Caught you're getting fat. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh about that all the time. (laughs) Whenever it pops into conversation. Uh, Um, She was a terrifying woman that was brutally honest. That is made better by the fact you've sort of described her as looking like Quasimodo. (laughs) That's how my brain remembers her because that's as a child, that is how I saw her. She probably wasn't, didn't look as bad as my bells. Anyway, she took her little boy to see Dr. Louis and 
they got very interested in one another and she would help him out quite a lot so she helped him settle into his new life in New Orleans and helped him become part of the city and get a social life and they became very very close he would often write back to home telling them that he's met this woman and she's very friendly and they said oh yeah keep her as a friend you know um she sounds like she's in a good position and his family back home didn't realize that it was a little bit more than friends oh because she was an older woman people thought it was strange for her to be going out with a much younger man especially with a less social standing but things got a bit more complicated when she became pregnant with his child out of wedlock oh damn mm-hmm. so they pushed through and they soon were married with her huge wealth she bought two empty lots on royal street and had a two-story mansion built complete with slave quarters later named the LaLaurie mansion the mansion was in her name and her husband had little to do with the actual running of the home standard yeah sounds about right (laughs) Delphine like most women at this time kept slaves to help run her household and it was actually well known that she was very polite to them in public so much so it shocked her neighbours and fellow elite socialites and at parties she was seen giving them small glasses of wine so it came across as her caring that she'd give them just a little dribble and pass it to them in front of people wow and they were like "Mm, okay unfortunately Delphine's third marriage was not the success she'd hoped it to be In 1832, she petitioned the courts for a separation from Dr. Louis after claiming that he had assaulted her in front of a witness. He didn't contest and moved out of the LaLaurie mansion and into a house nearby, leaving Delphine and her slaves all alone. And it's about to get nasty. Right. So remember when I just said that Delphine regularly shocked her friends by being super nice to her slaves... Well, people were pretty surprised, but they also thought it was kind of suspicious, especially because rumours were circulating throughout New Orleans society about the strange things she would put her enslaved people through. Like I said before, there were codes put in place in New Orleans that protected enslaved people from cruel punishment. For us, it's really confusing time to look back on because white people were very happy to keep enslaved people in their homes and work for them for all they had. But they were also pretty unanimously deciding that you can't treat them that badly. That kind of makes no sense. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, <laughs> that literally nowhere there is come no out. Way. Yeah. But, but that was the law. This meant that when people would go and visit Delphine in her mansion, they noticed when her slaves didn't look so good. Harriet Martineau, an English sociologist, visited New Orleans around this time and was apparently told by a friend that Delphine's slaves looked singularly haggard and wretched. Oh dear. Rumours were swirling around the town and it was said that she kept her cook chained to the stove, that she was keeping secret slaves locked away somewhere so her husband could practice Haitian voodoo medicine on them. It wasn't uncommon for doctors to test out medical procedures on slaves, though I can imagine if anywhere to find out, it would also have been frowned upon because they kept it behind closed doors. Right. People claimed that one enslaved man was so scared of Delphine that he threw himself out of a window to avoid whatever she had in store. Good God. There was also word on the street that Delphine 
whipped her own daughters if they ever tried to help the enslaved people in the household or if they attempted to feed them. The tales coming out of Lillery household were so rife that at one point a lawyer was sent to the mansion to remind Delphine of the laws for the upkeep of enslaved people. And he had a look around to see if any of the rumours were true, but he couldn't find any evidence of mistreatment and he was also entranced by her charm and beauty and felt as though he had no reason to be worried, so he left. (sighs) But not long after the lawyers visited, reports started to circulate that Delphine had killed a young enslaved girl and sadly the rumours were true. 12-year-old Leah had been brushing mistress's hair, but it hit a snag. Hair, it's going to do that. Delphine flew into a fit of rage. She was grabbing the whip and chasing Leah through the house. Terrified, Leah ran up to the roof to escape Delphine and horribly fell to her death. That's so sad. Yeah. And also, fuck you, Delphine. Trying to hide what happened, Delphine attempted to bury Leah's body in her garden, but when she was found, she was charged with mistreatment and ordered to pay $300 and sell nine of her slaves. In the eyes of the authorities, justice had been served, but when no one was looking, she just bought back the slaves. So $300 for killing a little girl. Right, yep, okay. So actually, when I asked how much is a slave worth, it's 300 for a 12-year-old girl. The funeral registers in New Orleans also told some grim stories. During 1830 and 1834, 12 deaths were registered at 1140 Royal Street, including the cook and laundress Bon and her four children, Juliet, Florence, Jules and Leotine. All deaths were either listed as cause unknown or were stated to be caused by some kind of infectious disease that was rife at the time. But the years of rumours and hearsay were about to come to a head. On the 10th of April... 1843, a fire broke out in the kitchen of the LaLaurie Mansion on Royal Street. Smoke could be seen throughout the neighbourhood and fire marshals were alerted to the blaze. A neighbour of Delphine's, Judge Jacques Francois Canoge, was one of the first to arrive at the scene and started to help the LaLaurie household move their valuables out of the house. Delphine's priority here was her belongings, not her slaves. As more neighbours and the fire marshals turned up, the house was a flurry of activity with the citizens helping move furniture and priceless items and the marshals trying to put out the fire and figure out what the enslaved cook was trying to tell them. The cook had started the fire, explaining it was an attempt of suicide as that was a better fate than what awaited her upstairs. Hearing the whispers, the neighbours went to the judge to tell him that they were concerned about some of the stuff that the cook was saying and if it were true, that there were probably still people up in the mansion locked up whilst the house was burning. So Judge Canoge asked Dr Louis, Delphine's estranged husband who had arrived at the blaze, if he could make sure that all the captive enslaved people could be escorted from the building to which he said, quote... There are those who would be better employed if they would attend to their own affairs instead of officiously intermeddling with the concerns of other people. What the fuck does that mean? Does it, is that basically no? Yes. Fuck off. Weirded out by this, and definitely seeing a giant red flag, Judge Canoge gave the neighbours orders to break down the doors of the attic. Good. The scene 
that they were all met with was something even the worst rumours couldn't have prepared them for. Now, reports about what Madame LaLaurie was doing to her slaves vary. This was almost 200 years ago. But anyway, you look at it, Delphine was doing some seriously fucked up shit. As well as the dead bodies of her victims, there were reports of enslaved people wearing thick iron collars lined with spikes. Some had been suspended by their necks and their limbs had been stretched out and torn. The victims were emaciated, most unable to stand or walk. Some reports stated that a woman was found wrapped in her own intestines, another with their mouth filled with feces and then sewn shut. Oh my God. Others had been shut into small cages. Their bones had been broken in order to fit them in. A man had a chunk of his head cut out so you could visibly see his brain. Why? For years, Madame Lalaurie had been torturing the enslaved people she held captive in her home, whipping them, gouging out their eyes, poking holes in their skulls, seemingly for her own amusement and pleasure. She had been murdering innocent people in the most horrific ways and she had been getting away with it. But finally, the door had opened on her gruesome mutilations and the people of the neighbourhood were angry. The helpful group of neighbours shifted into an angry mob and the LaLaurie mansion was stormed. People began smashing whatever they could get their hands on until there was little else left in the house beside the walls. They ransacked the grounds too, exposing more graves dug by Delphine. Well, sadly, probably by the enslaved people of the household. Oh my God. That contained bones of previous slaves that she had callously tortured and murdered. I think this next bit is fucked up. Well, I don't, it makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. They were obviously trying to prove a point to show what she'd done. So what they did was the enslaved victims that had been tortured and that they'd obviously saved from the attic were then taken to the local jail where they were put on public viewing so people could see what she'd done. And it was reported that 4,000 people visited the station to look at Delphine's victims. Like, there's one thing, being tortured and locked in an attic and... And then just put on display put on like display, it wasn't like, humili- humiliating enough. Also, like, did any did they receive medical treatment? Like, was any? I don't know. Ugh. I just that's no better. That is that's no, no better. They, I think they were trying to prove a point or to say this yeah. is terrible. Like, this is what's been happening. This is what Delphine has done. It's still but not it's treating, not, but these- it's not. It's, n- it's not okay. Still not treating that. these people like people. No. You don't treat people like that. You treat property like that. Oh, look, so-and-so broke this chair. Yeah. Right? Oh, I might leave it here to show mum later because, you know, they break the chair. And yeah. it's like, as a fucking person with a piece of their head missing, are you yeah. joking? Yeah. Uh, uh, when I read that, it made me feel so... I mean, oh, this whole story makes me feel uncomfortable, but that, that was kind of like, oh... You're supposed to be helping these That's people. It's not backwards. It is. It's sickening. But in the midst of this chaos, where was Delphine? She had broken the law. Her extreme cruelty and murder of innocent people warranted her arrest. But Delphine and her family were nowhere to be seen. So unbelievably, Delphine rode out of town in a coach and not even the mob could stop her. In the rush that followed the judge's discovery, Delphine called for her enslaved coachman to bring her carriage he obliged and she simply stepped in and drove away. They did their usual after lunch ride, but this time she didn't return. 
The angry mob tried to clutch onto the horses so they couldn't get away, but they couldn't hold them back. He drove Delphine down to the docks of the New Orleans Navigation Company on Lake Pontchartrain, where she boarded a boat and fled. She would never be seen on US soil again. Unfortunately, upon the coachman's return, he was murdered. By who? Why? The angry mob. Because Why did he, they murder him? Because he helped her escape. Yeah, but he had to do what he was told. I know. It's not okay. Everyone's a dick in this story. Every single person. She made her way to Paris, along with her estranged husband, Dr. Louis. Her children even visited her. Eventually, Dr. Louis left her to move to Havana, but Delphine didn't care because her children were moving to Paris to live off her wealth and to be together as one happy family. Madame Lalaurie died in Paris on the 7th of December, 1849, at the age of 62. Madame Lalaurie is a massive sea unit. I don't even give a shit. Yeah, she just lived in Paris and they just let her. Paris, you're a dick as well. Not right now. You've you probably redeemed yourself by now. But at that time, the entirety of Paris, knowing that she's there, dicks. Well, you say, I mean, obviously, Paris is a quite a way of quite a fair way from New Orleans but it is said that when she was on the boat going over there there were whispers on the ship about this woman and um, she was talking to this young man who took an interest in her because I she didn't go to Paris at the same time as her husband so she was just talking to this guy and then when he said you couldn't Oh, you've got... I mean, there's another lady called Lallery that was awful. Uh, I heard some horrible stories about her. And then he figured out that it was her because they were from the same place. And he was like, oh, OK, I don't want to talk to you anymore. So it was getting out. What's the point, though? Like, they have to live by this French code. She's obviously, like, broken it. They'd have only just made her pay a fine anyway. They wouldn't have fucking done anything anyway, no, would they? I know. It was either a fine or a one-year prison sentence. Which Fuck. is just, you know, for murder is... Ugh. And technically, she didn't even murder them. No. She would probably have got a fine. Everything about this is really bad. Yeah. So she died at the age of 62, and she did not pay for her horrific crimes at all. The LaLaurie mansion was burnt to the ground that night, and a new house was constructed on the grounds in 1838, and it's the same building that stands today. Over the years, it has been a high school, a furniture shop, a building full of flats refuge for young people and a bar it was even owned by nicholas cage at one point but, but <laughs> of he, course yeah but he sold it in 2010 and its current owner michael whalen who is making a film about madame lullery and yes they're gonna film it in the house i also um heard it was a bank as well which was fitting because of her being a really rich person so ugh. this case has turned into kind of folklore and she was turned into a character for American Horror Story as we know and is the centre of many ghost stories in New Orleans. There are a ton of tours when I was doing research most of the resources were ghost story videos which I didn't watch because I was like that's (laughs) please stop. Nightmares. (laughs) Give me no I was like give me some useful resources this is just like you know So her crimes get gorier and more salacious with every retelling. There's a lot of untrue things, embellishments, embellishments, yes. And there are some unreliable resources. But it is important to remember the victims of her terrible crimes. Many 
innocent enslaved black men, women and children lost their lives in the most awful ways. And she probably wasn't the only slave owner who treated innocent people like this. She was the one that got caught. Well, she didn't really get caught, but she, just she was got, found out. She just got exposed. Yeah, she got exposed. It's important that we remember this story for what it is so it can never happen again. And that was the life and crimes of Madame Lalaurie. My God. Carl, this is worse than a lot of the modern ones. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, yeah, because in the old days, horrible shit happened all the time. They don't have, like, so many things that we take for granted today, like, just society. Just, other things to do apart from kill people. Yeah. And, um... You know, we th- we think back to some cases like in the 80s where they don't have, you know, mobiles or ways of communicating to help solve cases quicker or track down criminals. This is like 200 years ago. And if this fire hadn't have happened, she could have carried on for God knows yeah, how Yeah, they had no way of like intel on what was going on. Well, I also like, I guess nobody really cared enough. No, like that, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? The house was burning and the neighbours were busy helping take out the furniture rather than making sure all the people got out alive. Well, uh, I think they were asking her if they if anyone needed rescuing and she was like, no, get my furniture. She's a... She's a the C word. She's a C bomb. But I hated, I hated this story, actually. Did you? Very interesting. Like, the history of it. Uh, I've always found the history of New Orleans... New Orleans... New Orleans... To be fascinating it's got such a rich yeah history but it's i find it fascinating with an underlying ick yeah it's like yeah because that's just it it's like oh my god this is this is fascinating because it's it's you know it was so long ago and so much dark stuff has happened there but then but you feel also feel it's icky it's horrible to listen to yeah or, or it's horrible to to learn about what just, was like normal back yeah, then? I was I, talking about it last night at dinner time because we would Phil, by the way, is like fully caught up on the podcast. I mean, thanks, Phil, but about time, mate. But we were talking about how people's realities are different, and it's mad to think about pe- reality is pe- other people's realities, and how that back then was normal. Like that was normal. That yeah. way of living, and it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I, something. Well, it's something that I, I think about quite often. Mm. So, um, like the there's one of the legends of our, fam- our like our family history mm-hmm. is that one of the founders, I guess, of our family line was um, an exiled nobleman from France who got sent to Grenada and owned plantations. And he was a horrible, wicked man and would ride around on a big white horse and beat his slaves um, and father children by these slaves, illegitimate children. He was just raping and beating. And um, and that's where some of us, you know, like that's how our line got started. Um, through those slaves. Um, but like, I guess everybody has that sort of legend. I don't know mm. if that has ever been factually... Mm. you know traced in sort of writing but yeah and when you think about it like that's horrific yeah that's horrific but like our you know our family line has so much joy in it Mm -hmm. 
but it's always sort of yeah counteracted with this horrible yeah suffering yeah it's just yeah wild this whole thing the whole the whole thing yeah ah so yeah i think everybody needs a big drink a yeah big sit down a big sip of something um maybe a nap that was just a lot wasn't it mm-hmm. um i think you did a good job thank you we've tried something different today yeah i hope that you enjoyed it let us know um oh i don't we've have we actually ever talked about the fact that we've got an instagram now We've got Instagram. We've got an Instagram. <laughs> At Devils in the Dark. We don't run it though. We personally aren't logged into it. We yeah, we just provide content every now and again. Yeah. Our face. But um yeah, please do let us know Because because we are told of the yeah, messages we get that are sent to we us. Do, we we are we are involved. Yeah. Yeah. So um please do let us know. At Devils in the Dark. Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're looking at the sadistic cannibal killer obsessed with Breaking Bad. It's Stefano Brizzi. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And in the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Special thanks to Woodcut Media and our wonderful producers at Audio Boom Studios. <laughs>